we're doing a series on spiritual warfare, right? Uh, which is significant. I think uh, just in light of Memorial Day, probably the most important thing we can do to honor those who gave their lives for our nation is not waste the freedom they gave us uh, by uh, battling here at home in the spirit for those very things. Amen? So uh, that's part of it, but we're mostly talking about just defending ourselves. Did someone talk to me this morning about, you know, getting beat up by the devil? And uh, no, that's uh, in any crowd this size, that's several of us at least. So we're learning how to handle that. Last week, just by way of review, we said, and if you met, I'm sorry, last week it was the teenagers, two weeks ago. Uh, that was part one in our four-part series on spiritual warfare. If you missed that, you can get that online at rockmelbourne.com, and the notes are there also, so if you want it, the brief and amazing, you can just get the notes and figure it out for yourself, or you can listen to it. But we talked about the first line of spiritual warfare is the call to rule ourselves, right? And we said that before we can rule ourselves outwardly, our actions, we had to learn to rule ourselves inwardly in three areas. Uh, in our emotions, which we talked about last time, uh, in our words, which we'll talk about today, and in our thoughts, which we'll talk about next week. Uh, but I do want you to notice that the words and thoughts thing are often paired together. And so I'm just going to give you one to start with. Uh, in Psalm 19, David is talking about uh, people that are picking on him, because David had a lot of people that picked on him. And he, uh, in the context of this, he ends Psalm 19 by uh, addressing his own heart. And he says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion or rule over me. Remember we talked about that in part one, the, that uh, sins desires to rule over us, but we must rule over it. And he says, let uh, sin not have rule over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Now, let's look at what he appeals to God for uh, in the context of sin not ruling over him. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So in other words, uh, David's answer to not being ruled by sin is, Lord, I get it that I have to pay attention to my words and my thoughts, and I need you to help me. Let the words of my mouth and the thoughts or meditations of my heart be acceptable to you so that sin won't rule over me. Amen? And so a little later on, we're going to kind of see in a, in a little bit of a different way, but kind of the same pairing. So I just want to jump into this. Um, I know if I say, uh, you know, the, the beginning of the, or the title of the sermon is Words Matter. You know, the old sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Turns out, that's really not true. Uh, it might be true in the natural, in the spiritual, words hurt us all the time, a lot. So we have to be aware of that. Uh, words have tremendous power. Now just saying that, probably some verses come to mind and you're going, yeah, but I don't know that we get how powerful our words are. Even words that we don't mean to be powerful, even words that we're just tossing out when we're kind of joking and things like that, they are still powerful. Uh, and I'm just going to read to you James 3, verses 1 through 12, and just kind of, you know, it, it, I really don't need to comment on a whole lot. It, just, it does it by itself. 
Uh, I, I wish James were still alive. I'd invite him to be a guest speaker. I, I think it would be terrifying in a good way. Uh, so anyway, I'll, I'll try and, you know, give it justice here. He starts out, he says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now, we're going to see in just a minute that our judgment is based on our words. So I'm going to stand up here for 45 minutes and just throw out words that I'm accountable for before God. And so that's what he's talking about. It's kind of a scary verse. Uh, you know that when you stand up here and teach, your accountability goes up, right? And so uh, this verse scares me. Uh, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. So it says the hardest thing in our body to bridle apparently is our words. Uh, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. And so he's comparing our tongue to the rudder of a ship that turns our whole body. Uh, and, and he says, even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. I just, this is at this point, I just go, James is probably, you know, all fired up here. Uh, this is really strong language. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Our tongues are out there just kindling forest fires left and right. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Wow. Did you realize you were doing all that? <laughs> when we're just, you know, joking. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. So he's making a pretty good case here that this is harder than we think. Uh, with it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Anybody ever done that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. So you get a feel for what a big deal our words are uh, in James's opinion here, right? And uh, I, I just kind of want to let that wash over us because I don't think we get uh, that they do this, that we say things and we move on, and there's a fire burning behind us, and, and people we didn't even, weren't even in the conversation are being touched as that fire spreads, all because of a statement we made. And by the way, uh, I'm just going to, I'm talking about verbal things today, but I'm just going to go on a limb here and say uh, that fire might also work if you do it online. Uh, it might spread to whole other states and countries. And so we're setting the world on fire potentially by the things we say. And so it's really important that we are thinking about this and evaluating this. And how do we do this? How do we rule over our tongue? 
James says it's impossible uh, that anyone's perfect in this, that it's just really hard. And so uh, it sounds like we have to put a lot of effort into it. And um, I want you to see why this is. I told you last week a story, by the way, about a girl, a 15-year-old girl, who had a problem with anger, because we're talking about ruling over our emotions and how she learned to rule over her anger simply by using the Word of God. And I told you today I would tell you why that worked. So this is going to be why that worked. Now, first of all, we have to just, again, pay attention to why words have so much power. Proverbs 18 is a great verse. You probably know at least uh, verse 21. I'm going to read 20 and 21. It says, A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth, from the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. Now, again, it's talking about fruit just like James did. So here's what I want you to understand. All words produce fruit. All words produce fruit. They produce fruit. There's no such thing as fruitless words, even though it may seem like that's the case. They all produce fruit. And what I want you to see here especially is that words are spiritual and they affect the natural. This is actually saying that a man's stomach is satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. In other words, it's saying that our words may affect our ability to provide a livelihood for our family. It may affect whether, you know, what job we end up with and whether we prosper or whether we don't. Our words can do this. Our words can affect our physical uh, prosperity, literally whether or not we're able to eat in this case, okay? And so they're producing fruit, and he goes on, he says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's a, just a huge statement, that our words are producing death and life. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, well, love what? There's two you know, subjects there, death and life. So those who love death or those who love life will eat its fruit? And the answer is, of course, yes, uh, each one. Reminds me of Psalm 109, 17. I love this passage. Uh, David, again, is talking about some of his enemies, and he says, hey, God, they love cursing. Let them be filled with it. They hated blessing. Let it be far from them. You get the concept? If we love words that speak death, we will eat the fruit of death. If we love words that speak life, we'll eat the fruit of life right? So we need to kind of let this sink into us because our words are a big deal. Now, here's a very safe place to go with your words. God's word is always life. It is always good. We never have to be careful speaking God's word other than we have to be careful that we're speaking it in love. Now, God's word always produces life because it doesn't just produce, it is life. It is alive. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and powerful. Living and powerful. Alive and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It goes in, and it's alive, and it is empowered, and it does things, even if we don't know it's doing things. Sometimes just reading the word or speaking the word will affect us. We don't even know it is because it's alive. And so uh, we need to, as much as possible, increase in our hearts our value of God's word because it's alive and it produces in us. In fact, it's guaranteed. 
I love this passage in Isaiah 55. Uh, Isaiah says, hey, well, God says to Isaiah, he says, hey, you know how when it rains and rain comes down and it waters the earth and then afterwards green stuff grows every time? Have you noticed? Every time it rains, green stuff grows? That that's how it works? It's just every time it happens? It's virtually guaranteed that rain will cause green stuff to grow? He goes, that's what my word is like. He says, it'll always prosper to the thing to which I send it. It will never return to me void. It is guaranteed to produce life. Just give it time. You know, you don't see green things 10 minutes after it rains. Right? Sometimes it's the next day or a little later. But he's saying it's guaranteed to work. His word is guaranteed to work. In fact, uh, it's so important, our words of life and death, his word in the midst of that is so important that when we are judged on that day, we will be judged by our words. Our own words will be the testimony that condemns us or uh, sets us free, right? We'll be judged by our words. And the reason is, it's very clear in this passage I'm getting ready to read to you, our words reveal our heart. Out of uh, what's in our heart, our mouth speaks. This is what Jesus is saying in Matthew 12. I'm going to read verses 33 through 37. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, you can imagine who he's talking to here. Uh, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he's saying our words, uh, we're culpable for our words because our words reveal our heart. Out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks, Right? And so eventually what's in our heart is going to come out. And uh, this is why we're judged, as we're going to see in a minute, by our words, because God looks at the heart. God judges our hearts. Now, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. He, he said idle words. So I can't, I can't play the I was just joking card? Think about that. Now, you know me. I like it to joke as much as the next guy. But we still even have to be careful about that. Our words, even our idle words, uh, we'll have to give an account in the day of judgment. We'll be justified or condemned by what we say about ourselves, about others. And so it just raises so high the value of what we say. And that's really what I'm after today. It's just for us to begin to you know, fathom the weight of, uh, of our words uh, and the life and death that is being created, the fire that is being kindled. You can kindle a good fire with God's word uh, by our words as we speak them, right? Now, he says that uh, we will give account of it in the day of judgment, but it's not just that day. If you're hoping, well, maybe I'll get control of my language, you know, and my words by the time I die and go to the day of judgment, uh, <laughs> uh, got bad news for you. Um, it's not just that day. There is a court in heaven and it is always open. There is a court in heaven, 
and it is always open. And I really want to spend some time on this. Now, I don't know what the court of heaven looks like. Uh, I'm going to have to use a little, you know, I've, I've watched court shows, so I'll just go with it. Uh, I have to use a little license here. But I know there's a court in heaven. And uh, I get this out of Revelation chapter 12. And so I'm going to read this passage, and then I want to spend some time with this. I really, really want to paint a picture, because I want us to get what a big deal our words are, okay? And how they matter in terms of spiritual warfare. So in uh, Revelation 12, uh, verses 10 and 11, I'm going to read these to you. It says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. And again, for some of you that may be a familiar passage, but I really want you to get this, and it, it requires that you get a little bit of eschatology. This has not happened yet. Uh, it's clear it's not happened because he says in the next verse, in verse 12, uh, Heaven, rejoice, get really happy because the accuser of brethren is out of here. Earth, woe to you because now he's coming down there and he's really torqued because his time is short and he knows it. So uh, we haven't had the torqued off devil wandering around the earth yet because he knows his time is short, but that's coming. All right? So we want to look at this. What happens in this passage that causes uh, heaven to declare uh, now the power of Christ has come, and the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. So we'll get to that. But first, I want you to, I just want to focus on this, the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night. Day court, night court. Court of heaven is always open, and guess who's always appearing at the bar in heaven to bring a case? Satan. Satan. Did you know that? This changes things. All right, so as best you can, you should picture this. We have the righteous judge of all the earth, God the Father, who is impartial and will judge righteously. He will not compromise his love for righteousness. He will find a way, he did find a way, Jesus on the cross, to make a way for him to express his love without violating his righteousness because he put all the demands for righteousness on Jesus, Amen. and he died for our sins. Amen. He will not compromise his righteousness, even though he loves us. The righteous judge. We have the advocate, Jesus the righteous. You can read about that in 1 John. We have the accuser of the brethren who we've already seen. And like any court, we have witnesses. Now, here's the deal. Anything we say can and will be used against us in the court of heaven by the prosecutor, the accuser of the brethren. You understand that? So let me show you what that looks like. Let's say uh, you are appealing for mercy, all right? God, I need mercy. You're appealing for mercy. And your name comes before the court of heaven. And Jesus, the advocate, uh, says to the Father, uh, you know, Billy Bob here is uh, appealing for mercy and uh, I know you want to give him mercy, Father. And the accuser of the brethren, the prosecutor, steps up and says, hold on a second, I have an objection. Billy Bob 
uh, I've got testimony here. I have a large staff of associates <laughs> throughout the earth writing down everything that people say. Think about that. I have a large staff of associates writing down everything that people say. And I've got testimony from Billy Bob himself where the very thing that he's asking for mercy for, he judged someone else for that. And according to your statutes in Matthew 7, where you said, by whatever measure we judge, it will be measured unto us. And uh, according to your statute in James 2.13, judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. I have ample written testimony of his own statements where he has not uh, given mercy and in fact has judged someone else for the very thing he did. And I'm going to appeal that that, uh, that judgment stand and that uh, he not be granted mercy. Now, what's the righteous judge of all the earth going to do with his own word? Do you see how this works? What have you and I given the prosecutor, the accuser of the brethren, to work with in our case from our own mouths? Are you getting this? Accuser of the brethren appears before God day and night accusing us. This is heavy, guys. And we need to think about this. This is why idle words are a big deal, because uh, you know lawyers. The accuser of the brethren is just going on technicalities. He's not worrying about whether you were joking or not. You said it. Right? Let's look at another one, for example. Uh, Susie Q here is appealing for uh, help because she's depressed. And she, she's really having a hard time. She's going, God, uh, I need your help. And she goes before uh, Jesus uh, and appeals to the Father in Jesus' name to help her. And Jesus, of course, wants to help her and appeals to the Father. But the accuser of the brethren stands up and says, hey, I know she wants to be free of this depression, but I have an objection. I have her own testimony right here. She's made these statements. I have the dates and times from my myriad of associates who are paying attention and writing things down. She said, I want to die. She said, life sucks. She said, God isn't answering my prayers. Uh, and in fact, one of my associates is, in fact, that spirit of depression that she's entered into a verbal contract with. And I see no justification for you to break that verbal contract, that agreement. Remember we talked about that? That agreement? And so I'm going to ask you to rule against uh, breaking the contract she's made with my associate. What do you think will happen from the just judge? I don't know what the court of heaven looks like. I've just seen, you know, lawyer shows on TV. But I know the accuser of the brethren appears before the court of heaven day and night to accuse us. And I cannot imagine what I have given him to work with from my own mouth. How about you? So, again, trying to just kind of work into you uh, how big a deal our words are. And we're just talking about ourselves, but uh, I want you to realize we can be witnesses for other people, and we can be witnesses to either side. We could be, it's one thing for Jesus to call you as a witness, it's another for the accuser of the brethren to be using your words against someone else. Think about that. I 
don't even want to know the amount of times my testimony has been used by the accuser of the brethren against another believer. How about you? You can ask if you want. I don't even want to know. God, is my testimony being used in heaven against another believer? Well, how many of us, and again, don't raise your hands, have said something against another believer that might be useful to the accuser of the brethren? You getting this? This is way bigger, way more serious than we realize, guys. Our words are a big deal. Elijah, for example, uh, did this one time. In, uh, in Romans chapter 11, there's a reference to a story in 1 Kings 19. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah has just literally kicked butt and taken names. He, uh, he went to Mount Carmel. He killed all the prophets of uh, Jezebel, uh, all the prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth. I think it was 850. He, he beat the chariot and the rain, ran on foot 20 miles back to Jezreel, I think. And then uh, she says, I'm going to kill you. And, you know, all the demonic spirits that are free now probably all hit him. And he ran off in the wilderness and uh, had a bad day, kind of got depressed. And he makes this statement. He says, uh, says, God, I'm the only one left. No one else is serving you. And and now they want to kill me too. And in Romans, Paul refers to this as the time that Elijah interceded against Israel. Isn't that interesting? Do you know why it's when Elijah interceded against Israel? Contrast it with Moses. God tells Moses, I'm killing them all. I'll start over with you. These guys are knuckleheads. They've already built a golden calf. And Moses intercedes for him and says, no, God, don't kill him. Elijah, at a, at a low point in Israel's history, when Israel had been following Ahab, and Ahab and Jezebel have done all kinds of wicked stuff. Elijah's testimony is, there's nobody left but me, and they want to kill me now, God. You might as well, you might as well just judge them. There's no one left. And remember what God tells him? He goes, no, 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 there's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to bow. I have some people left you don't know about. It may not be as bad as you think. Let's not write off Israel right yet. But it counted as intercession against Israel instead of intercession for Israel. Isn't that interesting? And so the things we say. And here's the thing. I don't know that Elijah, Elijah could go, hey, wait a minute, time out, technicality. I was just talking. I just said I'm the only one left. That wasn't a prayer. Uh, that wasn't intercession. Apparently it was. So I was just, it wasn't an official prayer. I didn't say in the name of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, it counted as intercession, and uh, God took it as intercession against Israel. And so again, I don't even want to know how many times uh, Paul could write down, this is the time that Tony interceded against Church on the Rock, or Tony interceded against this individual or that individual. Isn't that scary? And so we see the weight of our words here, and uh, again, just well, that's probably enough of that. Let's try and move on to more positive things, yeah? I get excited about this passage because it's laying out something that I don't think we always catch. There's going to be a time when the church participates 
in overcoming and casting down the accuser of the brethren. Now, catch me here. This isn't just God saying, there's going to come a time where I've had enough of Satan accusing day and night, and I'm going to tell the angels uh, to cast him down. Because that's what we read in the verses before. Michael and the angels fight against them, and he's cast down, and a third of them, and all that stuff, right? Um, but it says here clearly in the passage, and they overcame him. Who's they? That's us. Guys, there's going to be a church in the last days that so gets this, that has so figured out how to walk with God and do spiritual warfare the right way, that they actually, their prayers actually partner with God in heaven so that he calls the angels and there's a war. And the guy that's been accusing us day and night for thousands of years is cast down to earth. He can't accuse us before heaven anymore. And he's really torqued. And there's some other things that are going to happen when he gets here, but we'll talk about that later. You understand that? What does the church look like that does that? What does the church look like that participates in the accuser of the brethren being removed from the court of heaven, from access to the court of heaven? That sounds awesome. Well, thankfully, in verse 12, it tells us exactly what that church looks like. It says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. So let's look at those three things quickly. The blood of the lamb is just the cross. They overcame him by the cross. In other words, their only defense is the cross. So when it comes up, when uh, the accused of the brethren brings Tony up and says, uh, the court uh, wants to deal with the case of uh, you know, Satan versus Tony, and uh, I've got literally hundreds of charges here, and uh, God goes, how do you plead? I'm not going to plead. I'd like to try and talk that down to dozens of charges or go for having more good than bad or uh, explain why I did those things and what mitigating circumstances, why at least half those things might not be my fault. Right? My only defense is blood of Jesus. I'm turning everything over to my advocate, uh, blood of Jesus, on all those charges, blood of Jesus. I turn over my advocate. That's it. That's this church's only defense. No one's, there is no self-defense. Just the blood of Jesus. And the advocate goes, yeah, he's guilty, literally is sin, on all of these counts, but I paid for him. And uh, the righteous judge goes, yep, you're right. These have all been paid for. Amen. Their only defense is the blood of the Lamb. The word of their testimony. Very simply, uh, it's the word. The word is their testimony. Their testimony is the word of God. They're speaking the word of God. Their testimony is in alignment with scriptures. And finally, they did not love their lives to the death. You know what that means? It means they can't be bought. Now think about that. There's coming a last day's church that can't be bought. Because Satan will try and buy you. Satan tried to buy Jesus in Matthew 4. Hey, Jesus takes you up on a big mountain. Here's all the kings of the earth. I'll give them to you. All you got to do is worship me. Right? Jesus couldn't be bought. Can you be bought? What would it take? Because Satan's all about plea deals. I'll make a plea deal with you before we get to court. You're fixing to lose your job, but if you'll just compromise... 
you won't lose your job. That relationship with that really important family member, if you'll just compromise, I won't mess that up. You'll still be able to talk to them. Just a little compromise. Can you be bought? It's coming to Last Day's Church, it can't be bought. No offer is going to stand, even in their own lives. Even if you kill me, I can't be bought. I belong to Jesus. So I get excited about this church, a church where the cross is their only defense and the word is their testimony and they can't be bought. That is super exciting to me. So let's talk more about the word being their testimony. Uh, his word, we see in Ephesians 6, is offensive. It is going on the offense. Uh, in Ephesians 6, we see the, the spiritual armor, right? And then we have the sword of the spirit, which everything, the armor is for defense. Of course, the sword is for offense. And I'm not sure we always get that. Uh, in, in Ephesians 6, it's very clear that the word of God is, or that the sword of the spirit is the word of God, Right? So every time we take up the Word of God, we're wielding the sword of the Spirit. And I think we think sometimes things just happen. Now, we're going to read a passage about the church uh, prevailing against the gates of hell. And again, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I think sometimes we get it wrong. We, we go, well, I'm saved, so I can prevail against the gates of hell. I've got my helmet of salvation. Here's the gates of hell. Here I go. Bonk. And, you know, here I come, gates of hell. Bonk! I'm saved. And we're perhaps not as effective as we thought. Maybe it's not just being saved. Maybe we actually have to have a sword and be a little skilled with it to prevail against the gates of hell. Is it possible? Well, let's look at the passage and see. Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19 says, And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, uh, you may not realize what this verse is saying. You may have learned it differently, especially if you grew up Catholic like I did. Um, it's not really about Peter. Um, Peter, previous to this verse, has just, Jesus wants to know who they think he is, Peter's gotten it right. You're the Christ, the Son of God. All right? So that declaration is followed by this verse. The word Peter, which means rock, and the word rock are actually two different Greek words, slightly different. Uh, so if you're reading this very, very literally, he would say, and I also say to you that you are a little stone, and on this boulder I will build my church. They're not the same thing. Peter is not the rock. The rock is the boulder of the declaration he just made that Jesus is the Christ. Okay? So we need to understand that to understand what's going on here. So the rock is the knowledge of Jesus. We're going to talk a lot more about that next week when we talk about ruling over our thoughts. The rock is the knowledge of Jesus, specifically in this case, the knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, the way, the truth, the life. And he says, and on this knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah... I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It is my church. Now, he goes on, he says, and I will give you keys. And somehow with these keys, you're going to bind and loose things. Now, I submit to you 
that the keys are the word of God. The power to bind and loose. That it's not just his name. It's not just, I bind every devil in the room and I loose all the gifts of the Spirit. Go! And sometimes we pray like that. Have you ever been in a... Yeah, that's just a shortcut, guys. It's not just we bind and loose in Jesus' name and we're good. It's that there's specific keys. There, there's, there are keys in his word. Maybe we have to address a specific spirit with a specific verse, right? We don't just go around willy-nilly binding everything and loosening everything. Uh, and I've never seen that be super-duper effective. But I have seen when we confront a spirit of fear with a verse about fear, like the girl I told you about, be super-duper effective, right? And so maybe these keys are specific, not just binding and loosing and using the name of Jesus. Now, if I am right in my theory that the keys he's using here are the Word of God, it should play out somewhere, like maybe in one of Peter's books. So let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, where we will see these exact two same things. The, uh, the knowledge of Jesus and uh, the keys, I think, which are the Word of God. Here we go. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So that's Jesus. So there's the first one, the knowledge of Jesus. I said these are often paired, uh, our thoughts. We'll get into this next time. Uh, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Where would you find these great precious promises? In the Word. These are scriptures, right? That through these, what's these? the promises, we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Sounds like keys of the kingdom to me. We have promises in the word that we can use to unlock the divine nature of God, to access that nature. It sounds like Peter's hitting the same two things that Jesus hit with him, the knowledge of Jesus and using the word as keys to bind and loose, to overcome. So do we have authority in the name of Jesus? Absolutely, but uh, it's not just, well, there's a thing that's bad, I take authority in the name of Jesus. We need his word. We need his specific word. We need the key for that thing, right? So we need these keys to unlock his divine nature, to unlock that power, that authority that we've been given. Does that make sense to you? All right, so now it gets easy. We'll wrap this up. Four times in the book of Revelation, we see that Jesus has a sword in his mouth. He doesn't literally, when you see him, I don't think there will literally be a sword in his mouth. It's speaking again of the word of God and how he just says stuff and it happens. Uh, He will, uh, when he conquers uh, the nation's armies gathered in the valley of Megiddo and Satan himself, it'll just, just say stuff and the blood will flow just the sword of his mouth, right? So, Jesus has a sword in his mouth. We need his word in our mouth. That simple. But, did you hear what I said? We need his word in our mouth, not in our head. It's good to have his word in your head. Not, well, I understand the doctrine. And so, as long as I know the doctrine, I'll be okay. In our mouth. It's not the word of our testimony in the court of heaven until it's spoken, 
right? So we need to be, we just need to be a people that are speaking his word over everything. And, and specifically, the more we know of his word, the more we're able to adapt the keys of the kingdom to the specific issue, that the, the specific gate of hell that we're trying to prevail against, right? And so, uh, guys, it's just important that we are in his word, that we're speaking his word. It's safe to speak his word. There's life in his word. And it's going to help us corral other things we think about speaking that aren't his word, right? Now, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. and He's tempted by the devil three times. Less of the eye, less of the flesh, pride of life. And each time, Jesus responds with, it is written. Now, if there was anybody who could have looked at the devil and go, oh, just shut up. That would have been Jesus, right? But he doesn't. He says, it is written. It is written. It is written. If Jesus used the spoken word as a sword of the Spirit to resist temptation, how much more do we need to follow that example? To use, and he used a different, it is written each time for each different temptation. He used something specific. He used a key to the kingdom, right? So we need to have an it is written answer for every did God really say question. You guys have read Genesis 3, right? I'll start it in the garden with, did God really say? It's one of Savers. Satan loves to ask questions. It's his favorite thing. Did God really say? Does it really work? Did that verse really work? Are you sure that verse works? Well, that really happened. He's really good. He's had 6,000 years of practice asking us questions. And we need an it is written for every, did God really say, for every question. His favorite questions actually are what if questions. What if you get sick? What if this is going to kill you? What if this is cancer? What if that person's mad at you? What if they never forgive you? What if you say this thing? And what if you, what if you correct your child and he rebels? You don't want that. Anybody ever heard these questions? Yeah. What if you go, hey, Satan, it is written, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. Get behind me. I'm going to correct my child. If he rebels, he rebels. That's God's problem. I got to do my job. Now, you got to love them. Don't just, you know, go all James on them. (laughs) But you get my point. Those what if questions need to be addressed with specific it is written. He'll just keep asking you questions. One of his biggest traps is just to get you trying to answer questions there are no answer to. Uh, right? You ever, ever realize that? After about half an hour, there's no answer to this question. Why am I trying to answer this? And then he asks you another question. He'll do it. Now, final thing. His word works. We saw that in Isaiah 55. It doesn't return void. It accomplishes whatever he sends it for to accomplish. But we sometimes have to give it time. We have to be consistent, keep hitting that same word, and we have to be persistent. Do it again and again and again. I love Jeremiah 23, 29. It says, Is not my fire, I'm sorry, is not my word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? 
Now, I love when his word is like a fire. When I go, it is written, and we're done. That's awesome. That happens sometimes. It's not as much fun when it's, his word's like a hammer and breaking the rock in pieces. And I got this big wall, and I'm taking that same word, and I go, it is written. 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 Man, this is a thick wall. I spent years building this wall. You guys have done hammer work, right? Sometimes that's how it is. Sometimes it's words like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. But it breaks the rock in pieces. Just keep hammering. Does that make sense? All right, my goal this morning was that you would have a much higher respect and value for the spoken word and the life and death that is in it, and that you'd have a much higher value for the power we have, the access we have through the promises of God to his divine nature by speaking specific words into our problems, which requires us to get words that deal with our issues, right? Okay, so I'm going to invite the band back up, and while I do that, or while they're coming, uh, Rachel has uh, been living this teaching uh, a lot, and a lot lately, or in the last year or so. And so I figured I'd just give her five minutes or so for the last word. And uh, I have no idea. Uh, we'll just, it'll probably be good, you know. <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> I, I, no, I thought at the end, I'm like, I really need to share more next week because it all begins in your thoughts. It all begins in your thoughts. And that was kind of my battle. These are all my notes that I took while he was talking, but I'm not going to share them all with you. Since he was talking about the words that come out of our mouth, and I've shared this story before, but it's been a while. Um, several years ago when we had high calling back in the day, and we, we ministered with youth pastors from other churches, and one of them was a blessed guy named Lance Olinsky. We love Lance the Olinskys. They live in Texas now. And we were close with the Olinskys for a while. They're about 10 years younger, but, you know, we met them and we clicked with them and we started doing youth ministry together. High Calling came out of that. So we're out one night with a bunch of youth pastors in the area, and we're back when they used to have Perkins over off by NASA. And anyway, the Olinskys and, and the Hawks were going on vacation together. So while we're sitting with all these youth pastors and we're having the good youth pastor time, um, Lance says, hey, how long do you think we're going to be on vacation? And I said, I don't know. It depends how long it takes for you to get on my nerves. <laughs> yeah, so we all laugh, right? Funny, funny. But Lance is one of those, not only he's one of those guys, he is super sensitive. You know, that kind of stepped on his heart language a little bit. But I didn't know about it. I didn't know it. So we all go home that night. I wake up and I'm, I, I'm trembling now, I have in the past dealt with anxiety in that way where I would just wake up in the night shaking and I rebuke it, go back to sleep, or spend some time in worship is also a good thing. This time, the more I rebuked it, the more I was asking God to come and binding fear and loosing whatever, I would shake harder. I, I almost thought, like, I have to go to the hospital. Okay, it's really happened. What I thought was going to happen, the what if, I really do have something wrong with me. We're going to have to go to the hospital. So Tony is praying beside me, and he said, you know what, I, I think it's what you said to Lance. And I said, I was just kidding. But you know what, guys, there was an element of truth to it. Maybe about that much. 
But the Lord said to me, if you want to build people up speaking prophetically and speaking for me, your words are going to count all the time. So I repented, and I came, the peace came, and I fell asleep. So our words matter in that I love to have a good time. I, I, I love to laugh. I love to joke. But we have to watch those words in those moments because they do matter. The court of heaven. I think he was just stepping in. Before Satan grabs a hold of that with Rachel, I'm going to step in and I'm going to remind her. And he said, if you guard your words, I will give you authority. And then some years later, the Lord said, why aren't you asking me for authority in your words? Because I had kind of passed the test a little bit. But it's something I still go, I need to guard over my mouth. that I might not sin against you, Lord. So last year, though, just real quick, last story I want to tell us. I, I did. I was in a fiery dart battle with the enemy, just like, phew, phew. and it was different. I knew it was more like fiery darts than just kind of like the general anxieties or things that we deal with. I could feel them, and, but it, it also was rooted in a deep-seated fear that I had about my career, like I won't be able to write. When I first got contracted to write a novel for Thomas Nelson, I was driving down the road and I go, ooh, what if I can't do it? And the Lord said, well, you just keep saying that to yourself, and when you fail, don't be surprised. So I became the little writer that could. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And he's been with me through all of that. But I got hit really hard this time with that fear that I couldn't write. And so it was just a, it was a constant battle. When I get through one, here would come something else, and here would come something else. And finally, about mid-July, I've shared this a little bit before. I said, you know what? I have had it with this. Got out my phone, downloaded a counter put verses in it, and I prayed those verses. I think I prayed Philippians 4, 6, and 7 in two weeks, 118 times. I said, you're going to come at me? I'm going to come right back. So I knew I had to get out my sword, and I had to really wield it. I was doing the bonk, bonk, I'm saved, I'm saved. What's happening here? I don't know why he comes at me this way. This is not anything I wanted, these off and on trials with anxiety. This one was different, though, than anything I had experienced in the past. I don't know why. All I know is, and that's what Tony will tell me, don't try to answer the question. Just go at it. You're, you're, you're trying to bargain with him in your head. Why are you bugging me? Now my, my prayer is, for every moment that I felt an, a moment of attack, of anxiety or fear, God, I'm asking for your love to hit me in the same measure only twice as hard. I'm asking for your peace to hit me in the same measure. So if I'm out here one Sunday, just all blethering on the floor, just leave me alone. Because <laughs> we're having a moment. But you, so anyway, I go through last, all of, most of last year, from like July on, just really going at, the, going at it with the word, going at it with the word, going at it with the word, praying the word, just, and things would come up. Like I really didn't trust the Lord. A couple little resentments came up, you know, with regard to some things in my career. Lots of little things came up, and I just began to lay them before the Lord, lay them before the Lord, lay them before the Lord. Finally, um, in December, it began to break, just a little bit after we had the December conference and into. But I had struggles in the middle of the December conference, and, and Robert, you prayed for me at the youth conference, and the Lord just began to shift things. So thank you for that, brother. Um, he was crying harder than I was. <laughs> but um, I prayed it, into this year, things have shifted. The Lord has shifted things. But I want to tell you guys that I started praying Hebrews 4.12, 
The word of God is living and active, divides between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. I started saying, God, I want my spirit man that's in touch with you to rule over my soul. Joint and marrow, hey, that's my body. Thoughts and intentions of the heart. Those are my thought life. I went to the doctor in April. I do have an issue where um, my white blood cell count is too high. And it has stayed the same for many, many years. But it had dropped like 6,000. It had never gone that low before. And oddly enough, all of my other levels were down significantly. Significantly. And I was in... I was in a good place before, cholesterol, sugar, and all that. They were all dropped significantly, and I believe praying the word of God affected my body. So, and the Lord just really brought, brought that to mind recently. Um, I also had an issue sometimes with food, like I was afraid if you eat a certain food or drink a certain thing, oh, it would, you know, would it make you like, get depression? Because if you follow things online, certain foods can give you depression. If you eat sugar... You're going to be depressed. I started praying about that. That shifted as well. That sh- I just decided everything is going to be covered in that. Everything is going to be covered in that. Everything is going to be covered in the word and declaring the word over myself, declaring the word over myself, taking that journey with him. Eleven, he, in uh, Isaiah 11, what verse is it? 11, 4. The Lord says he will strike the earth with the word of his mouth, the rod of his mouth. His word matters. And when we put it in our mouth and we say it back to him, we pray it, we say it over our kids, we say it over that situation, we say it over ourselves, every little thing, you will slowly begin to be transformed. I just want to encourage you guys with that this morning. As you go into worship, let that be on your heart and mind as you are worshiping him because he wants to do this for you. It's, it's all of us. He wants to do this. Amen?